As always, it is a pleasure and an honor to stand before you, St. Michael's University Church. Uh, I do not take it lightly to have the opportunities that you all have afforded me um, to exercise the ministry that I feel called to. Um, and so I thank you all um, for your faithfulness uh, and for your steadfast uh, work for justice and love in this community um, that strengthens me and empowers me and um, emboldens me to do the same. On Wednesday, I turned 27 years old. <laughs> uh, I will celebrate my birthday at an Episcopal church conference. Uh, this conference is called Rooted in Jesus, and its workshop tracks include discipleship, evangelism, preaching, and something called a tri-tank. People are going to get together and talk about things that they plan to try um, or have tried at their churches. The night of my birthday will be spent at a revival in a college gymnasium. This is not your average Episcopal church conference. Lord knows St. Michael's is not your average Episcopal church. We try new things all the time. We don't even know who's going to play the music until about an hour before the service starts. <laughs> However, even for us, this conference sounds a bit different. It is bringing up things in the broader church that some of us have run away from while others of us are running towards them. I love the changes happening around the church. I love that we are reclaiming words like evangelism and discipleship, mission, and healing in our very unique way, in ways that are in accordance with our faith in God and our fight for justice, because these two things are one and the same. I love that the church is catching up with us and even pushing and sometimes pulling us towards new places and possibilities. If you can't tell, I'm excited. <laughs> I will spend my birthday basking in the glow of some of the most significant change makers in our church and in the world. People who not only talk the talk and lead courageous conversations, but folks who walk the walk and are leading movements. People like Bishop Rob Wright, the first African-American bishop to be consecrated in the Diocese of Atlanta, who has led efforts in interfaith cooperation, child advocacy, health care reform, and racial reconciliation. People like Reverend Emily Scott, founder of St. Lydia's Dinner Church in Brooklyn, where worship is a meal shared around a dinner table. Reverend Scott is now planting a new spiritual community in Baltimore, Maryland, centered on the restoration of LGBTQ, LGBTQ plus people. People like our own Nancy Frausto, a dreamer from our diocese who is nationally recognized for her leadership and support of the undocumented community. And people like Bishop Michael Curry, the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church in the United States, 
who captivated the world with his royal wedding sermon and whose visionary leadership has led to many of the changes that I've mentioned already. I'm excited. I'm excited about all of these folks, but the guy, the showstopper, the one that folks who folks are coming to see are coming to see. That guy is the Reverend Dr. William Barber. Reverend Barber is it. He has been heralded as the Martin Luther King Jr. of our time. He founded the Moral Monday movement as the president of the North Carolina NAACP, where thousands of people marched uh, on the North Carolina state legislature, declaring the need for a moral revival at the state and national levels. That movement, which started with a small group of North Carolinians, inspired similar action in states across the country. Barber famously pronounced the need for a moral defibrillator for the soul of the country in his 2016 address to the Democratic National Committee. With the Reverend Dr. Liz Theo Harris, Barber has reconstituted Martin Luther King Jr.'s Poor People's Campaign and is now demanding a presidential primary debate centered on poverty in America. He is it. He is the guy. Reverend Barber is going to have many fans at this conference. I will be one of them. However, the question of our gospel today is how many are willing to follow? Fandom is fine. I am a self-proclaimed church nerd. Some folks like discussing comic books, fantasy books, or baseball cards, but I like to talk about preachers and churches and theologians. I know this about myself, and in ways it feeds my faith and ministry. But I also have to be careful not to be so enthralled by the excitement of recognition that I am kept from action. Toni Morrison put it this way, I want readers, not fans. Fans are fine, but a movement requires followers. In the famous words of that great educator and transportation engineer, Miss Frizzle, movements need folks to take chances, make mistakes, and get messy. Sure, being a fan doesn't hurt anybody, but being willing to follow the right person might just help somebody. Movements need folks willing to go, to be the unnamed other guy who goes with God, good and justice. When I was preparing for this sermon, I asked Scott who the other guy was. He went to his office and checked a thing called a commentary. The commentary offers contextual information uh, for, the, for interpreting the text. Uh, the gospel says Andrew and Peter and somebody else came to follow Jesus. But the commentary shares that the other person is likely John the Apostle. You know John. He's the one that Tony talked about the other day. He's the one Jesus entrusted his mother to as Jesus hung on that old rugged cross. 
Yes, John, the one who was there on the mountain of transfiguration. You know, John, the one who was in Jesus's inner circle. Yes, that John, James's brother, who sat next to Jesus at the Last Supper. Yes, John, who gave the gospel of John, the gospel which is unlike any other in its magnificent view of Christ. It is that John who is called the beloved one. Jesus' best friend is relegated to the margins in the footnotes. Movements need you and me and all those folks who are willing to go to the footnotes and margins of history because when we move towards the margins, we are moving towards the heart of God. Yesterday, roughly almost 30 students uh, volunteered at St. Mike's. There were so many volunteers, we had to run to another community garden to borrow tools. They raked leaves, turned compost, cleared brush, and picked up trash all over St. Mike's. But they were especially helpful in the Pescadero lawn. That's that lawn right back there. We rarely go to that side of the church. Some might venture over to the Rose Garden. Others uh, might have seen our labyrinth. But nobody really ever goes to the Pescadero lawn. Linda and Norm planted peach trees over there. Scott and I, and mostly Scott, put a bench over there. But we haven't been able to really build a vision for how we might helpful, helpfully use that space. I can officially announce that I received the Interfaith Youth Corps Interfaith Innovation Fellowship. Though my name is on the prize, the gift is to St. Mike's. We are going to build 10 new raised beds on our Pescadero lawn with benches attached. The new garden space will be an interfaith chapel and outdoor classroom built by an interfaith coalition of local partners doing work in environmental justice, food security, and basic needs. It will be a hub for shared conversation and action. The students who volunteered yesterday took the first steps towards this vision. Their names weren't on the grant. We haven't even finished recruiting partners for the build. But they got out there and cleared the ground for this new project. They followed Luis and I to a marginal space in our community and made a love spreading difference. Each of them became a new friend in our community. Each of them put a piece of themselves into the soil they moved. Each student blessed us. We are grateful to them for living, even if just for a moment, into a radical vision of shared community and care for one another. We are grateful that they came to the margins, even as a footnote they contributed to the work of this community and shared in the fellowship and friendship. 
Will we choose to be fans at a distance or will we follow Martin and William and Jesus and our students and the nameless and unremembered friends of God in all the company of heaven, living, moving, and being in the margins? There is no promise of safety, comfort, or security there. You might only make it to the footnotes if you make it to the pages of history at all. But there is a promise of abundant life, a peace that surpasses all understanding, sufficient grace, and unwavering justice. There is a promise that you will be loved because God's love endures the margins. Her heart is there, and her friends are those who followed her into them. Amen.